Welcome back to Chunky Glasses, the podcast, everybody. I am Kevin, as usual. And as usual, thank you for tuning in. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Another Yet another week down here in the basement. If you are new to us, uh, this one might be a little bit of a shock, uh, especially if you've listened to the last few. Uh, I'll just cut to the chase here. We've been on, on the super posy tip, I think, for the past few weeks. Uh, but the album that we were going to be talking about uh, this week, at least I found myself unable to remain on that super posy tip, might have gone a little in the other direction towards mega curmudgeon. Um, so, and that happens sometimes, and, and sometimes that's important. It wasn't without cause. This week on the podcast, though, we're going to be uh, talking about the new album from uh, Girlpool, a duo uh, from Pennsylvania. They have a new album, uh, Before the World Was Big, is out. Uh, Marcus and Quinn are going to be down here with that. Before that, though, we're going to be talking uh, about an article that Chris Richards, uh, pop critic of the Washington Post, wrote in the uh, paper of his employer. Uh, about the Sweet Life Festival that just happened and wherein he basically questions the, I guess, the the necessity or or the the lifespan or what the hell's going on in the uh, festival circuit. I I think as an extension of that, it really was a piece that uh, could be applied to what's happening in the indie rock world. So there was a little bit of synergy, at least in my mind, maybe not in everybody on this podcast mind. I don't proclaim to speak for everybody here. Uh, but, you know, a little synergy between what's going on or not going on in the festivals and then what's going on or not going on in the, uh, in, in the makers of the rock. So, uh, so yeah, be warned. Might, might have some opinions you uh, disagree with here. Uh, so if you're a fan of Girlpool, uh, maybe, you know, just turn it off. I don't know. You know, I want you to listen to it, but uh, if, if you're easily upset by, <laughs> by strong opinions or whatnot, then... Uh, yeah, don't worry about it, man. Get to the next one. Next, next one's actually going to be our mid-year one, so that'll be, that'll be really good. All, all super posy vibes. Back to that. So, uh, without further ado, and this is actually going to be a really short podcast, uh, believe it or not, compared to what we've been doing. So, I think only about thirty-five minutes or so. So, without further ado, uh, we're just going to turn on the thing. So, here you go. This is episode number one hundred and nineteen of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, uh, where we're reviewing the latest release from Girlpool. Before the world was big. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. two word review just a shit sandwich. That right there is a logical power. Back to the basement, everybody. Uh, Marcus, you're back for a second week in a row. Absolutely. It was amazing. Uh, Marcus, you were on our surf podcast, which was last week. Uh, I hope everybody checked out that, Donnie Trumpet in the Social Experiment Surf. And check out the podcast so we can get above, like, you know, 12 listeners. It's always good. Uh, Quinn, you are back. Uh, We are here today 
to uh, we're, we're gonna, it's going to be a quick one. We're going to be talking about a new album from the now. Is, are they in Philly now? Philadelphia, Philadelphia band uh, Girl Pool. Who actually, Quinn? I don't know if you remember. You went to CMJ mm-hmm. and saw them. And on our little CMJ recap, you were like, "This is the band." And I, I do, I do remember that. And I'm wondering if we have different thoughts about that now that their new album is out. Uh, but we are going to get to that uh, first up. Uh, our friend and fellow DC person uh, this week came out as the crotchiest of old men that I think everybody knew he was, Chris Richards. Bless him. Um, writing about the Sweet Life Festival, which we had some thoughts before that was going on. It was, it was overpriced. It was two days of music where it should have been one day of music. Uh, never mind the lineup. Fear and loathing and indie pop in Columbia, yeah. Maryland. <laughs> so uh, Chris... Uh, went out to cover it uh, as he is wont to do, and his I'm all on like ad pages here. Uh, his article, uh, this one tastes bland too. Sweet life and the decline of the American music festival. I think he wasn't necessarily writing about specifically sweet life, but he did have a lot of good points. The fact that yeah. uh, I'll, I'll put it bluntly, and we'll start off on this: is that what the fuck are we doing? Uh, with these music festivals. I mean, Quinn, you are avowed, like, you just do not enjoy these festivals. No. Um, I I mean, because it's, like, mostly a party, right? Uh, it can be. Okay, yes. For, like, Sweet Life is a party. Mm-hmm. Uh, for totally. people within five years of my age group, yeah. of my age, going to these shows. Um, and so I just don't want to, like, get there at, like, noon and, like, drink all day. Right. And also, like they, the band, most of the bands I like are not usually represented. Bro, um, are you serious, bro? <laughs> Dude, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know any like, like bro tanks. I don't think I could with tiny little pockets. So I don't think I could. Uh, Dude, no, 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 no well, lacrosse tanks. Or but my, 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 my basketball jerseys. My problem. My only. I don't really have a problem with these festivals. I just don't care for the artists that they usually book. Um, and I guess I guess that's yeah. that's sort of the, the issue with like this is that. You have so many festivals now. You, you've got uh, Coachella, you've got Bonnaroo, you've got Firefly, Pitchfork, yeah. you've got Firefly, you've got uh, Newport. God bless them; they're still like overstuffed this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then you've got this. Uh, like I get confused because people are still trying to come into this market that is clearly oversaturated. Oversaturated. We've got one, and I, and I hope this doesn't kill my chances of, of covering this. But we've got one coming up here in town called Landmark. Mm-hmm. Um, the, at least that's for a charity, even though how you going to grow the grass when you're killing all the grass by having this thing, it's it's neither here nor there. Okay. But it's all the same, like, industry bands, everything. It's just a little – they just turn them around to all this stuff. Okay. So I write for a blog called Outfest 300. They're, oh. the, um, they're started by uh, Chip Conley, who is a, uh executive at uh, Airbnb. So um, – and he's a big festy guy. Yeah. And uh, he goes to all festivals all around the world. So uh, I write for this site. And um, I just wrote a piece, actually, in response to what Chris said. Yeah, right, so it's, nice. funny, it's funny that we we're going to – and the piece probably should be out when this podcast goes live. Oh, nice. So, so that's intriguing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, okay. So festivals generally started, you know, like, you know, 50, 60 years ago because, you know, like when culture switches, people need a place to celebrate. Like when some rapid, amazing, beautiful thing happens in culture mm-hmm. and music becomes different in some way, you need a space to get the music and get the stuff and you have a, a big party. Um, at some point, the music industry stopped making money. So musicians figured, okay, well, we need to do live performance and live performance has to occur somewhere. 
And the easiest place to do this and to pack a whole bunch of bands into a giant space is a festival. Because these festivals bleed money. Because people are willing to pay tons of money for quote-unquote experiences that occur because of culture. Now, when you take the culture away from a festival, because remember, culture is a big part of this. Like, you know, we're celebrating giant cultural revolution. Right. You know, Woodstock. You know, happy because it was even cult- Bonnaroo was yeah, like Bonnaroo, Bonnaroo right. was like jam bands were you know Jerry yeah. Garcia died and mm-hmm. then you had uh, this weird like multi tiered jam band stuff and and Fish actually led that charge right. but everything else was like you had to be a really big fan <laughs> yeah but now it's and now different because the music industry can't right. sell so now you have to pile all these bands into this space where there's tons of money so the music industry wants the money they don't care about the culture so you end mm-hmm. up with something like sweet life which is even worse because it's like okay a restaurant is going to celebrate themselves like what and book a <laughs> bunch of music right and put it at a place that's so far away from the city that it's almost impossible to get to right like that, the whole concept of sweet life, and I and I I, I enjoy salads. So if you guys at Sweet Life, <laughs> not you know, me, fucker. Yeah. So if you guys at Sweet Life, you know, like see me walk in and you don't want to serve me, I understand. But um, the idea of a restaurant holding a festival where the music industry comes in and they just take a bunch of money and walk out at the end of the day is is kind of crazy and kind of like against what festival culture is about. So a lot of what Chris says is ultimately correct, and that's ultimately the problem with where. This whole thing is because there's too many of them because, again, mm-hmm. the music industry needs – there's literal acts like Outcast last summer played 40 festivals. Yeah. That's it. That they, was the they, entirety they, of their that, tour. That's their tour and um, – yeah, and they get the most money out of it and they get the most – you know, which is great for them. Yeah. But, you know, I think it, it also – this touches on like something that we talk about a lot. It's like what actually is happening in the music industry. You have all these – Bands that, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about one of them today that that isn't really good. And I don't say, say that, like, uh, uh, subjectively. Like, it, objectively, like, these aren't – why are they getting on festival scenes? Why are they able – why do they have this platform? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to trace, uh, for me at least, where the money in the business is going to. Is it you can just pay to get on this thing and, uh, you know, pay to get your – your band named in this thing, uh, or is this really people believing on them in these bands? It's, I mean, and I'll just straight up admit to it. It's a pretty cynical viewpoint uh, on my end, but I, I don't know what to make of it when you have uh, something like this that is so unnecessary. So un- having a good time is one thing that's great, but it's so transparently but like about making money. The, resta- for- the restaurant uses it as their once a year PR Right. Campaign. They have a festival to celebrate salads. Also, that they make <laughs> the the whole little bit with Kendrick Lamar and the CEO. Well, yeah. yeah. Let's get to that. That's perfect. Okay. <laughs> that had to be a hundred percent orchestrated PR stunt. Of course it is. Not only not only bring him on stage, but I I I wouldn't be surprised if he'd been like, all right, just don't like you, for, forget the lyrics, don't say anything, because then like Pitchfork writes an article about it. Mm-hmm. Two million people read like yeah. read it. Who oh, so what's Sweet Green? You know, make uh, the CEO looks like an asshole, but Sweet Green gets a million. Uh, you know, yeah, 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 a few like at least a few thousand more hits on their site. And and Sweet Green is moving up and down the East Coast. I mean, they are in Manhattan yep. and in Brooklyn. So right. there's that. 
Yeah, I mean that and that was interesting because it was it, it was a as a hit either way. I mean, it, it was completely appropriate if that he didn't know it because obviously, like, this is not to say the guys at Sweet Green aren't music fans or whatnot, but they're huge music fans. That's actually the funniest part. That was a big part of their initial. So then, there's no excuse for that yes. type of thing. It's like you're booking the guy who is who is the hottest act right now in in uh, in music. And you don't know his stuff because you just like, well, what if we just make it bigger? And that never worked for anybody. Yep. Never. Because along the way, you forget how to make it good. Exactly. And it's sad to see all this stuff. Uh, you know, I, I've been going to a lot of house shows more lately. And, and this even filters down to like the club level. Like as 930 Club churns these acts through that like I, I run a fucking music site and I haven't heard of most of these guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, what's happening? Like, wh- where are all these people? If the music industry is so like hurting, where are all these people coming from? <laughs> we'll it actually we'll it, it inspires me as like a like casual guitar player to like you know start a band and like make some shitty music because like it doesn't seem that hard to like oh yeah yeah <laughs> like get out there it's, you know well it's, look, it's easier than obviously ever. I'm being prestigious and would you're like, not because we could make the album we're going to talk about today now in the time it takes us to podcast this. <laughs> Yeah, I write about EDM. There you go. I'm just saying. I write about electronic <laughs> dance music, which people oftentimes make in less than 15 minutes. Yeah. And they get millions of hits on SoundCloud, and then they end up having entire giant – I mean, give me an example. Bauer made Harlem Shake in like 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And he's got a career in which he is a Vegas headliner making five figures to play for 90 minutes off of a song – that he made. And he's not playing his music for 90 minutes. Exactly. Can we can we really fault though the, the <laughs> you artist? Can't. No, you I'm can't. not, you know, like I'm not we all live in this post-capitalist hell together, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh like it's not even my line, but like it's true like like they take they're taking advantage of it and why not? Why not? It's a like Kickstarter. People are like, oh, that, that, some people feel gross about it. Some people you see ridiculous Kickstarters and stuff. But as I'm often reminded, uh, well, yeah, but like the people paid for it. So so what? Like if they're dumb enough to pay for it, it works. Yeah, it might be frustrating as hell. Uh, you know, like we just actually on the last podcast had a mic break. So you know, yeah. and it's just like if. Uh, but the culture out there is this is what they want. They want, you know, the the quick, easy hit, the sugary hit, the, uh, you know, of everything, not just like music, but pop culture. Like, oh, this thing peels potatoes, and like, as the the one I'm talking about, the Kickstarter I'm talking about, actually, is a water bottle that tells you when to drink, <laughs> because yes. millions of years of evolution have not told you when you're thirsty. <laughs> so this thing has an app. Yes, and this thing glows, and these people very I made mean, a very earnest video uh, how they quit their jobs and did something to benefit. They raised eighty thousand dollars, which could coincidentally go to places in the world where there are actual water shortages, <laughs> exactly, and save like actual lives. But California. no, you know, and they probably got somebody to just like bang out a, a, a remix hit or something like to go along with it. Yeah, <laughs> and it will go viral on SoundCloud overnight. And, right, you know, right. Uh, it's it it's a weird thing, and so like I don't think uh, I'm I'm glad Chris wrote this. I I, I don't think it is again specifically necessarily about sweet life. I mean, there's some the fashion lines in there, whatever. And you're Chris, you're being 
like an old. But those are also man. some of the funniest lines. They are. Yeah. Well, he's a funny guy. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of. You don't get like a, a lot of his stuff, especially like that arcade fire one they wrote is hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Because there's so much truth in what he's like saying. Um, you know, but I mean, if you, if you want hilarious, like read the comment section of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is, I always jump to that when one of these pops out just to see like the reaction. And there's lots of people being like, well, why do you even go to that? Like, well, it's his job, dude. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, so, uh, I th- wanted to talk about this specifically in a little bit because I think it does, uh, lead into what we're going to be talking about for the album we're going to be talking about today. Uh, that, we might as well get to that. The album is uh, by a band named Girlpool. Uh, the name of the album is Before the World Was Big. Uh, we're going to start it off with uh, How About Chinatown? They work? Yeah. Yeah. So Chinatown uh, from the band Girlpool off their new album uh, Before the World Was Big. To say this album is stripped down, I think, is putting it lightly. Uh, their last was their self-titled EP, correct? Yeah, it came That's, out um, like seven, eight months ago. You had lots of hyperbolic statements like these are like the saviors of punk or like this is the face of punk. That, that stuff never really should play, um, but it is how... I guess we sell music. You have to say that everything there is. Uh, if 
I, I mean, there's no other way to put it for me. I think if if sucking is is punk, then they are absolutely winning. <laughs> that's, that's, on no, this no, winning. That's the, and I and I don't want to be harsh, but I, there's no way we can like dance around the fact, or at least that I can, uh, like how bad on so many levels this album is. <laughs> but, but you make a point. Um, you're not selling music here. You're selling a concept. I don't know what I don't know what's happening. You're selling a concept of what good music is. You're selling like this is this is meant this is this is an independent band that is likely going to become an indie pop group. Yeah. Which it's pop music. So you're selling dreams and fantasies and hopes and realizations. You're not selling the music. You're selling everything surrounding the actual thing in the middle. Mm-hmm. And the right. thing in the middle is supposed to sound a certain way. We were talking about the mix on this record as opposed to the original. Like, yeah. this record is mixed like it was recorded in an actual studio. Yeah. This is likely not the case. It was likely recorded in somebody's bedroom, you know, thinner sound. So you make the record sound like it's supposed to sound because it's the thing that's in the middle that you have to actually listen to or interact with at some point. But you're selling everything else about this group that has – sure. The music's the last thing in the room. Yeah, I'm – I. It's like a the Tumblr aesthetic, is what they're selling. Yeah, right. But but th- they're making music. They're in the business. Like I said, and now that we're talking about this, I had said this album made me angry. It really does make me angry because like if you read this quote from like the Pitchfork review, it says if you've never held a guitar or even seen one, you could be gently coached to play Ideal World, the album's opening track, within three minutes of being handed one. The same is true as many of many others. That's a fucking problem because you're making music in a world where this is you're held up as like a pop star, a talented individual, not some people who are just and the the harmonies are beautiful on this record, but everything else about it is so uh like amateur anybody can do it like I feel like this is just like punking everybody like you this does not deserve a major release from anybody. Right. I agree. I, okay. I think I agree. I think that the argument on the other side, and I agree with you that I don't, I don't like yeah. the problem. The, uh, the argument on the other side is that, um, and you're going to like bash me right through. No, it. no, but no, no, no. You're going to, you're like, the argument is that, uh, it's about like the songwriting, not the technical skills. And I'm, I know. Obviously, obviously, I know. Like, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I know. Where's uh, the songwriting? But, I agree that the songwriting totally falls flat. Um, I I think that uh, the original Chinatown version is good. I think uh, that Cherry Picking is a good song. Um, but then there's like that weird interlude. And then the, the second half of the album is like so flat. It's unbelievable. I, I couldn't I, – uh, it drops off so hard. I couldn't – like I couldn't believe well, it. like it, – it, I guess what I don't get is – and they're listening back to these stuff. I mean first of all, there's problems with I guess the topics they're trying to take out. These, these 18 and 19 years old, like before the world was big, like you, you don't have any grand statements about <laughs> growing up. And this really is sounding like uh, old man stuff. But I mean it's just a fact. And so there's not going to be any like grand truths revealed. So I mean are we talking about stuff that will appeal to like a, a, a fetishist? <laughs> no, and I'm being serious. I here. know you are. And go ahead. No, you make, okay. So um, this is the point about the music industry in general, um, right now. 
right now in the music industry, when you really look at like, you know, there's no real major labels anymore. There's also no real veteran expertise, mm -hmm. especially like in this level of pop music. There are no veterans who sit around and have like a vested interest in preserving standards. You have a lot of kids who are fresh out of college or this is like their dream job and they don't really have like a large sum of like, I've A&R to record or I've like signed the Beatles or something, you know, yeah. like, so this is for all of these people in the music industry. This is their first band that they've heard where they're like, oh, I understand DIY indie pop now because this band made it make sense to me. And are, are they poster boys, Quinn, for this or girls poster girl? Um, a little bit. Uh, not. They've definitely ingratiated themselves into the scene that is the sure. like and the and the other the few other bands that are the poster boys yeah, or yeah. poster women or poster whatever people. for them push people for them. Um, but I they just like. It's, I don't know. I just I think that they they're like yeah like we like when we lived in Los Angeles like we played DIY shows and we like went you know like we hung out at this DIY space like that doesn't make you better than anyone else that doesn't make no you, it like, doesn't and it's the problem with not just that label but any labels is like people buy into it and then uh, and again uh, in DC it's a huge problem. A lot of people making shitty music. For all the good music there is, there's a lot of people making shitty music, but it's like DIY, and it's like right. And it's a problem. That's the problem with like a scene in general. Is yeah, like I agree. The friendship overweighs criticism, even when criticism might is valid, and uh, necessary, and necessary. Right, right. I like like we and it's like uh, it's it's the culture moving towards curation over criticism, mm -hmm. and it like leads to shittier music and shittier yeah shittier, shittier scenes like and less and weaker scenes so, weaker local scenes the, so, uh, real quick yeah, uh, no to that point the, the very next line of that pitchfork review that i quoted from it says and yet before the world was big brims with a mysterious power a charge and palpable sense of hope and awe i mean you're reaching for stuff that is not there uh, often we just say all you have to do is listen to it and you know it's true but if I read the word palpable in any music review, again, I'm going to fucking... <laughs> you, know what, you know what it is, honestly? Uh, and I'll say this. I don't know who wrote this. Uh, I know somebody's, who somebody's writers are. A lot of them I don't. Jason Green. Okay, I know who he is. Um, not like personally, but I've, I've read his stuff. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that's in the mix, to be honest. It's not like anything that comes from the band. Yeah. That's the funny part. The palpable sense of mystery and awe that comes from literally... The mix of the way the way that the song is presented. That's something that you would only know if you're like a veteran. You have a veteran understanding of music. None of these people in the industry that are championing this act, I'm certain, are like vaunted industry veterans sure. who have taken some time. But even funnier, like when you think about like scenes, you think about like something like a scene like Seattle mm -hmm. and, you know, like in the grunge era to get out of Seattle. You had to be really good because people in Seattle didn't want you to win. No. This is a scene now. All of these scenes now all come around people, especially here in D.C., where people just want you to win. Yeah. There's no curation, no hardened criticism. No, fucks. <laughs> no, you suck until you're yeah. good. And then even <laughs> when you're good, you still suck. Yeah. That that's why – and that's why a city like Philadelphia is such a stronger scene, even though Girl Pool, Girl Pool just moved to Philadelphia, but that's yeah. a different story. But Philadelphia, from my opinion, has a very strong music scene right now. Uh -huh. And I've talked to people who've lived there, who play music there, and it's because there's like 
it's like a polarized scene. Like it's really competitive and there's not enough places to play and like people are competing for it. Whereas in DC, if like you're in a DC band, like people like, you know, you get put on a podcast, you get, you yeah. get elevated, uh, even if you're not that good. Yeah. And in other cities that would never happen. Yeah. Uh, let's hear another, uh, song in quotes. <laughs> what <do> you, what, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> what do you, what, sorry. I'm being really hard on this. What do you want to hear, Quinn? Uh, how about cherry picking? Yeah. All right, let's do cherry picking. Okay. It has a hook. It has a hook. It has a hook, and again, you know, the harmonies are are great. You know, I, I equate that, and honestly, and this band has seen a similar thing happen. I think it's might be going to happen to Girlpool uh, First Aid Kit. Uh, very much started off very small, and so, and has progressed. Now that they're getting older, they're uh, as musicians, they're just growing in that sense. Uh, and 
there's a lot of that in there, and there's a lot of fans of that group who are just like, ooh, look at these young girls singing. Uh, I mean, it's lecherous. I mean, it is. But that, I mean, that, that's part of being out in, in pop culture. Yeah. Uh, with this, uh, like, how much better would that song have been if they had taken the time to build some instrumentation around it, build something? Basically, or had, give me any like, indication that they gave a fuck about what they were doing. Or had any percussion, on, you know, like right. No drummer. I'm not one to pick on like how you make your music per se, but when you are actively just tossing out the bare minimum of but, what you could possibly do, but you can't do what you don't know. Well, and that's a huge issue with like all genres of music across across all boards right now. What makes the Kendrick Lamar record so great is that. Kendrick Lamar is surrounded by him and a whole bunch of his friends who understand how to make music. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, he is surrounded by a bunch of st- session musicians mm-hmm. and studio musicians who are like, hey, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, like, take this here. We're going to put that there. And then we're going to add this here. And then in the mix, we're going to, like, you know, over, you know, overdub this thing here. And it's going to be great. Right. And these are two girls who make songs in their bedroom. Right. So I think... My problem is not with the act is really not even with the actual music. Right. Um, because there's like thousands of these albums exist, like bedroom pop albums, right? They exist. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the, like how many albums are there like this? Like tons. So many. Right? And that's fine. Literal and, literal hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And you could even make the argument that this is on the on the better edge of all those albums. But it's the response and the press and the crazy hype. That doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It's it's baffling when you see somebody like NPR drooling over this, uh, you know. And you, I've never seen them live. Maybe you can speak to this. I uh, so the only thing I have to judge them on are these two albums. And on the first album, it was very clear that it, this is the first album in Santa, but at least it had something there. Right. Not just like I'm just sitting in my room. I mean, and there's they don't it doesn't go past two chords. Really doesn't like Kate, like nothing switches up. You know, mercifully it's a short album, so you get to. I mean, how long is it? It's like twenty minutes or something. Yeah, yeah I'm not. Yeah. The, the the funny part about all this too is like I always think when I listen to stuff like this is that there are people that will yell at you and go, "Punk rock has three chords, and all these punk bands couldn't play." Blah blah blah. That works live. Right. No, I, I agree. We've talk, talked live. about it with uh, right. uh, actually Louis. Uh, the difference between live shows and, and stuff. Like, you feel music live. Yeah. And so, in general, right. uh, why punk is always going to be a vital art form is because you get out in front of people and, like, maybe smash shit. It's, it, and it's charisma. It's all, like, charisma and stage mm-hmm. presence, which is what I, what, what I wonder about them live, like, their stage presence. Because if they can, if they have, if they, if, if, if this is like watching Eric Badu, you know, perform live for the first time for me, which was like, oh my God, I get everything she does. I want every music she ever makes for the rest of her life. And like the music wasn't that great, but it was astounding to me. So I'm, I'm interested in that. So what worked for me live was not that they were jumping all over the place or right. like doing crowd service. It was that they were these two people that he would not assume who are these two like very seemingly like quiet people like and then they were scr- like they would scream, you know. And it was that was alarming. That like the difference that they created when in their music when I saw them live, and then like their aesthetic and their appeal. I mean, or their like 
present presentations. That's really what I enjoyed. Um, yeah. But again, like the the music is, I don't know if they have that like intense. I don't think this album has the, the intensity that the first album had. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it live. And uh, I don't know. I It's just like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, are we all going to sit around and like hold hands on the floor while they play these songs to us? If I mean, that could be an interesting experience. If they told us to do that, then this would have worth. Yeah. Yeah, that that could be fun. Yeah. Um, but are you going to put them up, like you know, on a big stage, on a festival stage? Oh, totally on a festival stage, man! Come on now, you know how these festivals work. Yeah. They 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 were written about in NPR. They were written about positively in Pitchfork. They were written about positively in. Name magazine, name blog X. Mm-hmm. So then, when you go to the festival booker, the festival booker is just looking at numbers. It's like you know, Ron Burgundy just reads the tel- you know just reads the teleprompter. These people just look at numbers, yep. and it's like okay, so they were written about here, 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 and here, and their song has how many buys on Bandcamp, how many plays on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, numbers work out. Let's put them on stage. There's no thought as to whether or not they have any stage presence whatsoever. So, and then when they get up there live. And then they, they, they better be great because if they're not great, you know, grand opening, grand closing, they're done. Yeah. Now, I, I do want to be clear about this. This is uh, – Quinn, you're not old, but you know, just two old men <laughs> talking about this album. If, Thir- I'm 37, but I write about music for 19-year-olds yeah, yeah. So, every day of my life. So but if you're uh, – how do you think this appeals to, say, uh, a 13-year-old or 14-year-old sitting in their room? I think I think it could be imp- potentially empowering, maybe if yeah if, right. Totally. So I, like I, I'm removing all this bullshit press because I mean a seven point eight on Pitchfork is ridiculous for this album. Right. That's that's. <laughs> I mean like, but that, nothing, but nothing has no worth for sure. Sorry. Oh, we're good. We're good. We're alive. I'm sorry. Um, I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that. Um, it's empowering, especially to like if you were like, all right, this person's four years older than me. Did I fuck that up? Yeah, I shouldn't move. Um, anyway, what I was saying was that uh, if you're 13 years old and you're into music and you're like, these people are five, right. six years older than me, and look at what they're doing, mm-hmm. look at like the mu- people they're playing music with, like that could be me. Like, I think that's a good thing. I totally think it's a good thing. Yeah. Like if, if my nieces or my youngest niece, I would be upset. My oldest niece were like, I love this band girl. But if my youngest niece did, like, I'd be like, okay. Like, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. That's fine. You know, you'll grow out of this phase. <laughs> uh, and I mean, they aren't much older than her. So it's just, um, I, I just, we haven't been this curmudgeonly all year, I, I don't think. Uh, maybe Slater Kinney, but that was a different, that was a different kind of thing. Well, Slater Kinney's a fucking great rock band. I mean, yeah. like, like, yeah, you, it's, there's issues to talk about Slater Kinney, but like, this is, band is not, this, this is, is like, just, this is just two young women making music, like, in their bedroom. And, and, you know, sort of to finish out talking about this album, actually, uh, Ian Savonius was on Kojanandi. If you're in D.C., you're, I mean, that's nationally broadcast, so yeah. you don't need to be in D.C. Um, and said something to the effect of, uh, he was asked about music, he said something to the effect of, like, oh, when uh, NPR killed all college rock. Um, and 
that you know a lot of what he says is theatrics. A lot of what he says, you know, he's been in, around forever. Yeah, you know, right. but uh, that is sort of a valid point because I think without the NPR in of of all this, like, there's no way we would ever be talking about this band. Okay, so I was a, I was a uh, college uh, radio DJ. I um, was like the head of Urban Beats for two years, and mm-hmm. you know, we also like you know, I also sat in on meetings about you know, indie rock, and you had to like have five nineteen to twenty two year olds like your music in order to get it played on WDOM Providence College Radio ninety one point mm-hmm. three FM. This is like, and this extended across the entire country with people who really cared about music who were between the ages of like 19 and 22. And we, and like in that era, I went to college between 1996 and 2000. Mm -hmm. All of the music that we pushed all ended up winning because you had five people who were at a very impressionable age saying, this is stuff that matters. That doesn't exist anymore because all NPR has to do is say, oh, so it's at a tiny desk concert. My opinion as a 19-year-old sitting at a college radio station is completely invalid. Right. Well, Quinn, you, you work at a college radio station. And I mean, how much – like my, I think his point about uh, about the NPR influence on that is if you if you consider what NPR's the, – the news portion of it, their main audience is, it's going to be a little more older, a little more oh, affluent, way liberal. less adverse to taking risk, maybe a little more intelligent. But, yeah. you know, and so you see rises of band like, like the Decemberist, you know, stuff like that, that becomes – Way more popular than ever would have or before. Fleet, Fleet Foxes or fucking Fleet Foxes, yeah. I uh, think they're a little more, even more emblematic of you know. Uh, and and you have you get this music that doesn't have. It might be pleasing, but it has no teeth. And it's safe for you to go out to a show. I mean, it it has created a whole culture where people go to every goddamn show. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, how much of that bleeds into like what you do for programming, Quinn? Probably, uh, I mean, a lot. A lot of it does. I mean, are um, you ever like we have to do this because this is what's going on? Or I mean, we're we are generally pretty free form where we let people pretty much. Yeah, we don't really dictate what people play, so it's kind of a different. But that that's because, like that, I I made that decision to do that because like, otherwise we would just be doing playing the same charts as every other college radio station in the country. Yeah, girl who would be charting. For sure, like, it absolutely is. Um, yeah, like uh, Speedy or you know, like all of those yeah. bands. Um, some of those bands, which I really, really like, it's just like, um, I just didn't see the point anymore. I was like, I would rather see what people individually come up with rather than like, right. like, hey, you have to play. You want you, cherry picking. You want somebody to like give you a good song that maybe you never heard of, and be like, hey, mm-hmm. this is just a really good thing, right? But but I do think there was a lot of value in the previous age of college radio where. Like college radio DJs were for a brief period of time the vanguard of indie rock, like, right? They like and like like there's there's a chance that like you know like some some like lo-fi band could send in their record and then like Providence College DJs could start yeah. singing it. People like people down the road in Boston hear it like it grows yeah. and that and that creates buzz and that's an organic way of creating buzz. Yeah. Whereas like now it's all money. Hundred percent. It is. It's yeah. like how many how many CDs can you buy to send to college radio stations? How like can like who from Never Better can I pay to like fucking like send my MP3s to like their like ten thousand emails? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and then the the recommended if you like sections are just like ridiculous. It's like yeah yeah, and it's like I don't know. I have a lot of issues with it, and it makes me. It's like 
it's like the more you learn about the music industry, the like yeah. more you want to like. Should we all just quit? Like, <laughs> no. I, here's here's what I I always tell people to do: um, laugh until you cry, and then when you start crying, get really mad. Yeah, that, that's the easiest that's the easiest solution. Like, you can laugh at so much of this because you know it's all ridiculous and it's all absurd. And uh, yeah, a lot of this doesn't matter. But then when you get to a point where like with something like this, where you get you you, you can't really laugh at it. Then you get mad, and you have every right to get mad because, like, this this is no longer fun. It's no longer funny, mm-hmm. and then you're just like, "This is, you know, it's it's where we're at." And I mean, you there's there's moments like this that are like lines in the sand, where it's like, "Okay, we we may have gone too far now." Mm-hmm. Chris Richards' article, "A Line in the Sand," we've gone too far now. Yeah, you know, like now we have to roll things back. I mean, there's value in you know, like kids making music but is there a value in making it a pop worthy phenomenon without mentioning to people that these are kids making music and this is why this is important Mm. like if you were telling a larger story and saying hey like let's get a bunch of these bands together that are all like largely untalented and let's put together a big album of like untalented sort of kind of <laughs> really good could be one day musicians who are all releasing their albums on Bandcamp and Epic Records puts out right. the album that's cool but just saying this group because they have right. $25,000 and have access to a PR who lives in Williamsburg yeah you know like that's it, angry it, it cheapens stuff and yeah. it makes it uh but I guess it just means you get just got to dig a little deeper. That's, that's the only thing I can figure out. So uh, to finish dig, off the album, dig Quint. deeper and go spe- like support bands directly, and maybe not at you know. I mean, at any point it, when you start a band, you're gonna suck, and when you've been in a band for a long time, you might suck. But that doesn't mean people can't and shouldn't like call you out on your sucking right and that doesn't mean like they hate you like we certainly don't hate girl i certainly don't yeah. you know it doesn't mean like you can't take it personally but it's just like uh, uh what's the old saying like you can't polish a turd mm-hmm. like it's, it, sometimes this happens right so so quinn what, what, what's your uh, i'm gonna stream it okay um stream it give it a few spins i listened to this album like 10 times already just because i like wanted i don't know i just wanted to Make sure I really got it. Got yeah. Uh, but stream it. I think there are, are a few good songs, but I think at least half of it's just filler. Yeah, Marcus. Um, I tell people to listen to this mainly just because uh, you want to know this is where we are at and this is this is what's happening. So stream it. Yeah, this is what we're doing. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm obviously going to completely pass on it. <laughs> um, and again, not because uh, I mean it. It does offend me personally, but. Uh, a lot of people will hopefully kids will hear this and be like we should do it better or whatnot. I I don't know, but yeah, this is not the album for I wanna, me. I want to play this for the social experiment, Chance the Rapper's band, and see what they think. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Because <laughs> they're about because they're about the same age. Yeah, and, and and so this is the difference. I mean, but again, you can't. People just make different types of music and stuff. This yeah. is this is this DIY aesthetic gone way too far. And then, um, so, I, yeah, uh, yeah, not expected because I really first surface listen, I was like, this is this is okay, but as soon as I dug into it, it's like, god damn it, right, fuck, but, 
Um, yeah, so that's our, 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 our bitch fest podcast uh, for this week. Normally, uh, we play a song. I, I really want to play a, The Darkness has a new album out. <laughs> so, yes, they do. Quinn's like, no. And that's why, because there's lots of Quinns out there just like, I'm never listening to this podcast again if you do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't I, know if they're a lot of me. But. I, I, they, so I'm not going to. But The Darkness has a new album out. Uh, I It's called Last of Our Kind. I suggest going to check it out. And you can make fun of it all you want. But The Darkness ha- does one thing, and then they do it well. They simply just rock. Yes. And uh, there's no... There's no importance in their music at all. This is a band that doesn't need a PR except just to tell you Fuck that the album's no, out there. <laughs> so check that out. Um, we will be back next week with our mid-year podcast. Uh, so which, Marcus, you're going to be on. Quinn's going to be on. Paul's going to be on as yes, well. Yes. So we're going to be talking about some stuff uh, that we might have missed or you might have missed on that. So uh, thank you guys for coming down. Awesome. Uh, as always, be good to your ears. Uh, be better to your people. We'll talk to you in about a week. No, 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 no,